Hello and welcome to Cat's Cradle, the show inside a show where we talk about things. And we don't play a game, instead we talk about games. And that's beautiful too in its own way. With us, we have Kathleen. We do have Kathleen. We have Nick. We do. And for those of you who have not met him, we have the man, the myth, the legend. It's Bill. Hello. I got hit by a tractor. Woohoo! Again. Again. <laughs> so glad to hear it, Bill. Always a pleasure to have you. Thank you. But the listeners may have noticed something, though. Cad was not interrupted this week. Oh, yeah. We don't have a Kirsten. Send Kirsten your thoughts and prayers. She was driving the tractor. Yeah, send Kirsten your energy. <laughs> Same fucking tractor. Bill and Kirsten walking toward the podcast and just the tractor out of nowhere. <laughs> but it's just as well that we don't have a Kirsten because that's going to stop me from getting needlessly hostile as we talk about fights. That's right. This week's topic is combat, something that is fundamental to a lot of RPGs, not all of them, but most, and that we have somehow... <laughs> Two years later, only just got around to talking about. <laughs> well, Hero Court is a game about cooperation. Yeah. And fighting monsters, but mostly cooperation. Mostly cooperation. So, okay, let's not talk about Hero Court to start out with. There's going to be plenty of time for that in the designated giving me praise section of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um. Kathleen, you have a music stinger for the giving cat praise section of the podcast, right? Yeah, of course. It sounds exactly like this. You're welcome, future Kathleen. <laughs> I love it. It's beautiful. <laughs> you just use memory time. <laughs> Get me. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Time pranked. Whatever you choose to do is going to be great. Uh, so... My first thought is, have you ever played an RPG with combat that really just made an impression on you? Yes, Legends of the Wulin. I don't know anything about Legends of the Wulin. It's a kung fu game, but it's not like set in the standard kung fu movie period around, you know, sort of turn of the century. It's back more in the, even before like Legend of the Three Kingdoms time to that like mythic China, where all the like wuxia novels and that kind of stuff comes from. And the combat is very interesting because it leads into the whole system, but the whole system is about causing ripples. So whenever you injure something, you give it a ripple and a ripple can be just about anything. Like it could be, you know, a broken bone or it could be a blow to your pride or it could be, you know, like um, poison or something like that. It, it has a very intricate way of doing a lot of that kind of stuff, which is on top of the way that the system just kind of in general functions as it has a uh, like a flow in and out of dice pools. And it's kind of like playing Yahtzee almost, where you have the ability to like set down like dice and pick up different dice and, you know, set dice aside and that kind of stuff. And all of your moves and abilities key off of basically how many duplicates you have for something. So, like, you can set aside a five and grab it later if you think you'll need a five some other time or, you know, usually you want to set aside something big. But it was a really interesting way of getting this almost, like, matching kind of game into the combat. Huh. Oh. Cool. That does sound really interesting. 
I would have to go read it again to get really into the nitty gritty of it, but it just it left a really strong impression on me on just like sort of how combat resolved and like how you got hurt. You know, again, like maybe you got in a big kung fu fight and you had a huge flashy duel and you didn't actually get that beat up. But boy, did you get clowned on and you feel awful. (laughs) And there were some of the martial arts styles in the game that were specifically based around like essentially humiliating people and clowning on them. And you didn't hurt people by like stabbing them. You you hurt people by stabbing them in the ego and you could do all sorts of really cool stuff. And it was just really fascinating. Nice. Yeah, that sounds really unique. Yeah, I really like options. I really like games that have the freedom in their combat system to let players define what winning a fight looks like to them. And we're going to get more into that when we talk more about Heroic Chords' current combat system. Dungeon Dragon is so fatal. Mm -hmm. If you listen to the Eternity Archives, our network sibling, our dearly beloved network twinsy, the uh, the first arc, spoilers for the first arc of the Eternity Archives, <laughs> sorry gang, has the characters, Bappy's character Rill throws a dagger at somebody. Or is it Linda? It's either Rill or Linda. Anyway, throws a dagger at them, and they scour the books for subdual damage and ways to not do lethal damage, but it doesn't work for ranged. Dungeon Dragon doesn't want you not to kill. So they ended up being hard-boiled murderers in their first ever arc which was not their intention. Well, it's so much the psyche feeding into itself of like D&D creating the video game RPG, creating the mindset of people playing D&D that like, if you go into a D&D combat encounter, you're just expected like, these are the things whose hit points I have to bring to zero. Yeah. The assumed goal, if a specific other goal isn't given, is just kill the thing. Mm-hmm. And that aside from like the ongoing cultural conversation that you were talking about, Bill, there's also just a big part of its legacy as a war game. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, it's a really good point. D&D doesn't want you to do non-lethal damage. D&D doesn't want you to end combats without people being dead. That's just not what it's built for. Mm -hmm. You have to go pretty far out of your way to find options that aren't that. Frankly, it's even hard to run away from things in Dungeon Dragon. It is. Yeah. You really have to scour and find weak niche options if you want to do things like like Nick was talking about, like hurt somebody's pride. Like you can use Vicious Mockery and heaven knows I've done it. (laughs) But Vicious Mockery still deals damage. I killed some kobolds with insults. Like that's not what we're going for here. Yeah, I think it's also important. um, I just want to add this because I know a lot of folks are going to be like, well, what about rule zero and The thing is, yeah, rule zero always exists, which is, you know, basically, if you don't like something, use your own. But when specifically saying, as we're talking, you know, about the nuts and bolts here, the system as written does not really give you a lot of options to not just merc fools in D&D. Like, you reduce HP to zero, thing die. Like, that's how rules as written go. And that's, yeah, that's like, that's how you turn the combat switch from on to back off, like... Now I am done doing this thing, and I'm in a different mode of the game. Yeah, and sure, the, again, the GM can say, yeah, uh, you are a super cool knife-throwing wizard, so when you throw this dagger at a person, you bonk them with the other end of it like Crocodile Dundee or something, and they pass out. <laughs> you know, like that that sort of thing. But again, like that is the players basically having to insert their own rules into the system, which 
that's good. I think it's very good that people are doing that. But from a pure like design standpoint, it is going to push you into the lethality, murder hobo, yada, yada, all that stuff. Right. You don't get it for free. Exactly. And like you can rule zero D&D into a game that's solely about clowns juggling at the circus. Like a designer's job is to design rules that work together as a system. And when a core part of your system's combat is, but if you don't like it, throw it out the window, then maybe you didn't do it right. <laughs> like your your goal should be making the rules good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, that's exactly the thing. And we've said a couple of times on this show before that when you are making rules, what you are doing is you're building systems and systems are things that produce outcomes in a relatively consistent way. Like, if you're not getting the thing you want out of the system, then you should change the system. Dice Roll Roll plays Pathfinder, right? Yeah. Okay. So Pathfinder is about clowns at the circus. Listen to Dice Roll Roll. Yes. I was thinking about making the same plug, so thank you. (laughs) I love our network family. Circus clowns aside, the big thing to remember about combat specifically is that it's more than just this is the fight mode. Like, this is the problem solver. This is how characters Mm. solve problems. You know, look at any game that is very combat intensive and you'll see that, wow, there's a lot of rules in here for, like, crazy weapons and spells and knives. Okay, and what if I want to just, like, I don't know, talk to somebody? Uh, Here, you can roll this skill. Right, roll charisma. Yeah, roll charisma. So whether or not the system, like how lethal it is or what it's designed to do, the big thing to remember with combat is that it is directing a play experience. Like you are telling the players this is not only what this game is like, but what this world is like, what this setting is like. And even, you know, not to not to uncork the the genie, but... You know, like, what are the politics of this world? Is this, you know, like Heroic Court, this is a setting about cooperation. So, you know, the rules for, like, getting stabbed are less than or equal to the rules for everything else in the game. You know, whereas D&D, the rules for getting stabbed greatly outpace everything else. Well, and I think that has a big impact on, like, the narrative cohesion in certain systems versus others, whereas, like, Exactly what you're saying, like the amount of pages in the the DM's guide devoted to, you know, here's how you kill something versus here's how you convert money is wildly different. And it creates sort of like the murder hobo problem of like characters who are wanting to role play well-rounded, interested in the world around them people, but then have to kind of shut that off playing by the default rule set in D&Z specifically to like, okay, I have to kill this thing before I go back to like wanting to, you know, plant apples all over the the continent or something versus like I feel like Heroic Core does a really good job of like that collaboration between people is seen in both combat and not combat like Kat I've said this to you before when I did that um that one shot with you and I'm forgetting your friends names I apologize Leslie and Megan they're great love them that was like the thing that right away came across was like we're not just here to stab each time when it's our turn the point of this is to do things together and D&D's got a lot better about that since third edition. Now that uh, milestone leveling is a lot more normalized and is a much bigger part of the conversation and is present at most tables, 
It's less, well, that is a piñata full of experience that I need to hit until it bleeds. There's still not as many rules for peaceably resolving a conflict, but you see fewer players just looking for conflict because they need XP than you saw in third edition. Sure. Which I've got such fond memories of, but... <laughs> right, again, it's just, it's it's not like this is wrong. It's just a different style. It happens yeah. to be a style I don't really dig, but it, like there's plenty of people who want to play games that way instead. And like, it just, it as you were saying, Nick, it educates the way that you're going to interact with the game and interact with the world and interact with the politics of the world that you're playing within, however detailed or hazy they've they've been explained it's the same problem that video games have where you have to give the player the tools to interact with the world you know and obviously in a tabletop game there's a lot more interaction that can be done simply because you're not talking to a computer you're talking to a person yeah but if the only way the player has to interact with the world is a gun then you know like you are into the similar problems mm-hmm. until you make portal mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah like I would like to pitch a hypothetical RPG to all of you, and I'm not going to make it. Don't make me make it. But a game about a planet on which everyone is a pro wrestler and all problems are solved with violence. Mm-hmm. I mean, that game sort of exists. There, It's a uh, world wrestling. But it's a planet where everyone's a wrestler? I mean, it might as well be. Because I, I want a game about a planet where everyone's a wrestler and the only thing they do is solve problems with wrestling. And the rules are for wrestling because that's how everyone on Wrestle Planet solves their problems. And that's okay. That's also but, just pro wrestling. That's why I want to make a game. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess what I'm, <laughs> what I'm trying to express here is that, like, I don't hate violence. I do. But I, I don't... Uh, I don't begrudge games the inclusion of violence. I just think that if a game is going to purport to be anything other than a combat sim, it should put lots of weight on other concepts instead of leaning heavily on combat. And that's the heritage of the Dungeon Dragon. That's where we are. Right, right. And I think that that's something that we're seeing a lot in the like indie tabletop scene right now. There are a lot of prominent games really focused on genre in terms of like something like Blades in the Dark, which is about daring heists and like criminal activities. And I wouldn't say that the Forged in the Dark system has explicit combat rules. It has big encounters, and, like, fighting is one of the things that you might do on the heist, but the encounter is kind of the thing rather than the fight is the thing. Or you have something like Honey Heist, where I I guess I'm just going to list off heist games, but you don't <laughs> fight things, you bear or criminal at them. <laughs> to be fair, if you bear hard enough at a guy, he ain't going to have a skull no more. But... Mm-hmm. And so, like, you can fight, but there's a lot of things you can bear. (laughs) Bearing is just as much climbing a tree and, like, yelling a bunch as it is knocking over a trash can. There are way more rules in Ryutama about shopping than there are about combat. Mm -hmm. There are way more rules. There's more spells about shopping than there are about combat, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. There are way more rules about walking around in Ryotama than there are about combat. (laughs) 
you go shopping for gear, then you go camping with your gear, and then maybe you fight an egg, whatever. Butama's so good. It is. Where a system chooses to put its weight is important. So when I was working on Heroic Chord, it's an adventure game, and it's a very JRPG-inspired adventure game. So there's some weight on the combat foot. I'm not going to pretend there's not. That's fine. That's the choice I made. And all of that to say, now that we've gotten over the we are indie tabletop designers talking about the nature of violence, um, knives out, it's time to stab people. How do I stab the people? I don't have rules for stabbing people. How do the combat, though? So what? what? When it was time to stab a person, I had to, like, bend this system around in circles in order to do a PvP combat last arc. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the pedigree of that? Yeah, Kat, because, like, I only know where the system lives today. Like, what was the initial, like, <laughs> stab? <laughs> you took it that? Yeah, no, I got uh, it, yeah. And, like, what? How, how did you come to realize, like, parts of it were not working? Well, the initial combat was a lot closer to, like, a dungeon dragon with, like, initiative... Opponents would roll attacks against you. You would roll attacks against them. And I realized a couple things. One, it wasn't very versatile. And two, I just didn't like it. I just didn't like running it. It sucked to run. It didn't feel good. And it sucked to write combats for. Uh, Yeah, to write encounters for. I didn't like doing it. Before you go on, I'd be curious, Kathleen, Nick, did you like... Did you have, like, the similar feeling that, like, something didn't feel right about the combat where it was at? Mm, no, not really. From a person who has played a bunch of RPGs perspective, the combat was fine. It obviously wasn't super gritty because that wasn't the point of the game. But I will say it was actually fairly crunchy compared to the setting and compared to a lot of the rest of the way that the game worked. Yeah. 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 The original system had a whole series of distance rules and like being in melee combat versus being in mid range versus being far away. And oh, yeah. a whole lot of discussion about like cover and every attack came with an opportunity and an opportunity cost. And kind of the idea was rather than just going in turn order, the initiative order would constantly shuffle around as people reacted to things. But I kind of got lost in that while recording the podcasts sometimes, and it was pretty easy for me to just fall into, like, going in order. That's also where Kirsten picked up her dirty habit of just cutting off enemies. (laughs) Oops. Oops. I said a bad example for Kirsten. I know how impressionable she is. I should have been more careful. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, everything you could do had an opening involved. And if somebody could take advantage of that opening, then they could just move their turn to that moment. And there was a lot to keep track of. It was difficult to write encounters for. It wasn't fun for me to run. So uh, I was not satisfied with it. And then, as I'm sure I've told you before, listener, I got a 4 a.m. text message. No, I got a 2 a.m. text message that I read at 4 a.m., Well, plus with the time zones. No, we were in the same time zone at the time from somebody who used to live in my time zone and who has since since departed therefrom. But, um, and it was just talking about the the survival pool system, which, I mean, you'd recognize it as the genesis of combat as it stands right now, 
The party builds a pool, and then whenever a threat comes up, they choose whether or not to spend successes against the threat. And I had not thought of basically remodeling that into a combat engine until 4 a.m. that day. And then suddenly I was like, oh, great, this is what I was looking for. Oh, no, I have to rewrite a third of the game. (laughs) I mean, coming to it with the eyes of only knowing the system as it exists today, I feel like it has a really cohesive set of rules between combat and not combat. There isn't that same, like, switch being flipped that, you know, other games have, and it sounds like the, the earlier iteration of this had. It's not wildly different to go into combat and to leave combat because the systems kind of flow into each other nicely. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I don't mind if there's a big separation because like I mentioned before, one of my biggest inspirations for Heroic Court is like JRPGs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I don't mind if... Dun, it, dun, yeah. Dun, 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 right. Dun. You go from the overworld to like cutscene <laughs> mode. <laughs> like Pokemon, good. <laughs> I was gonna go, but yeah, absolutely. I don't mind that abrupt transition, but uh, I'm glad to hear that they mesh well together because I, I mean, I don't want it to be jarring. I don't mind if it's a little jarring, but obviously, you want your game to be harmonious and a pleasant experience for people to do and play. Then one thing that I discovered when I was putting this together is that it made it much easier for me to build something I'd been wanting to build since the beginning of the game, which was stuff like social encounters, because those mechanics didn't exist in the original version of the game, but now they do. Not only that, but survival encounters exist. Well, that's kind of what I mean. Is like you can treat these things really similarly. It's, it's not specifically... You know, you are fighting this thing that is fighting you back in a physical punches way, but you can reuse at least the the broad strokes of the same system for social plus survival plus like actual factual combat. Yeah, I wrote an encounter when I was playing a game with some friends, which was there was an object that they needed to get from a noble demon who was obsessed with collecting unique objects. And so half of this demon's abilities were marked hostile. And there was just an additional rule that says until the party attacks, this demon won't use hostile moves. And it worked out perfectly. The party spent their turns trying to convince this demon to make a trade with them. And they didn't actually do a combat, which is so good. (laughs) It would have gone bad if they'd done a combat there. But it was a purely social encounter within the same engine. So as a proof of concept, I was really happy with how it worked. But it sounds like there you had, you know, you had a a spot where you could easily flip it into. And now the guard has an exclamation point over their head and they're going to try to kill you. Yeah. It wouldn't be now we have to pause and figure out initiative and all that. This is absolutely true. Anyone who's been listening to Heroic Chord for, for the first season would remember the Radiant Prince. And I statted up the Radiant Prince in the new system, and uh, he's extremely upsetting in combat. But much like the proof of concept fight I ran with my friends, there are moves marked hostile that the Radiant Prince won't use until somebody is doing a combat with them. And that was actually a really easy to write. That way I don't have to worry about statting up encounters that the party may or may not trip. 
-hmm. Like write one encounter, maybe have a couple moves that the party may or may not trip. And you could just move seamlessly from peaceful negotiation to, oh no, what have we done? Mm -hmm. Which I'm glad I haven't had to see it in action, but it's possible. (laughs) Actually, I'm going to open up the Radiant Prince. Okay, here's one of his moves. Stone Empathy. Five to avoid. The prince uses his control over the stones of the old shrine to move them quickly and with great force. If destroyer outlast have been advanced, he uses this to deal four damage to a single party member. He punch you with a rock. He punch you with a rock. And because of the way that the assist pull works, as anyone who's been listening to the podcast would know, the way that you stop getting hit by that thing could be anywhere between like... I'm ready and I dodge with my cool agility versus I go to the prince like, hey, hey, bro. Hey, hey, bro, let's talk it out. Hey, stop that, man. Hey, bro, cut it out. Hey, bro. Mm-hmm. Or like I cast a barrier spell. Yeah. I'm just a little birthday boy. Mm-hmm. Just a little birthday boy. The other thing is that I love tactical combat. And tactical combat is, it turns out, a lot easier to write and a lot easier to play If instead of building a lock and a key, you just don't. You just let people decide what a tactical choice is. Oh, that being said, spoilers for Bailheart Season 2. There's a lot of tactical combat in Dylan's system, which I enjoy a great deal. Dylan has has had so far to build encounters around me because I am a power (laughs) gamer. (laughs) I don't think they were expecting me to be a power gamer. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have a question for Kathleen and Nick. In episodes previous, and especially in some of the things coming up that I'm a part of, like, it seems like the tactics that are taken as the group are to, like, turtle up and build a big, massive pool to then just, like, allow the bad things happening to you to either dig into that or um, spend it all at once or to, like, fly through and rush and, like, make sure that you are advancing whatever you're trying to advance as quickly as possible. Like, you know, has that, was that a conscious decision? Has that just naturally been the way that y'all have like decided this is how we have to get to a solution in this encounter? I think that's kind of where a lot of it has just sort of wound up naturally because of the way that the system has, you know, breakpoints essentially. Basically, you want a lot of the party to work on building the pool and you have usually well, I'm not going to say usually, but one or two people if they're cor- if they're doing a court or something like that. Not outlasting, that's the name of the thing. Advancing. Mm-hmm. Sure. The fact that there are these breakpoints really lines the system up to want to like build up a big pool and say, okay, if we're going to get hit with, you know, 10 worth of danger, but we need five to move forward, we're going to want to probably get around 13, at least 12, 13 because we can figure, okay, we use five to move forward and we can probably tank a little bit of it, but we don't want to just tank all of it because sometimes they're real bad. Mm-hmm. Sometimes right. cats like, this will cost you six. And if you don't do it, I'm just going to do 10 to somebody. And you're like, okay, all right, <laughs> we're spending six. Well, it's, it's interesting to think that like, that becomes so that you don't, um, you know, so kneecap the party in that turn that then it's just like there's compounding failures mm-hmm. afterwards that like this this leads to and Kat you and I've talked about this a little bit the collaboration between players sort of outpacing the collaboration between c- 
characters in um, specifically in combat that like there is meta conversation, certainly in some of the stuff that we have coming up, like we did that, that like it is more about the tactical decisions of the people playing and enjoying this game, deciding how do we as a group decide we want to spend this? What are we trying to advance? Um, and less of like just what would these people do in this situation? Forget that, you know, we also are trying to not die as these characters. Hmm. Yeah. And at first I was like, well, party's just going to pick which one is easiest and I'll agree to do whatever is easiest. But the more I see it happening, the less I hate it. <laughs> like, So kind of my view on this is that if we're talking in terms of gameplay loops, for me, like there's a gameplay loop that is sort of scouting the encounter out. It's figuring out how it ticks and like what the mechanics are and what you need to watch out for. And then once you have sort of done that and the group has figured it out together, then you move to the second loop of like executing plans and like finishing the encounter. And that for me is similar a little bit to how I play games like the old school Final Fantasies, where if you are fighting a boss, you go, well, okay, so what's going to happen? What's going to come up? What breakpoints do I need to worry about? Or um, a thing that I said on the very first time that we played with this encounter, like healing in an MMO. You have the series of resources that are things like the assist pool and player health and scatter and stuff and these various like sort of resources we have access to. And like, what do you need to get through the encounter? How fast can you get through it? And making a decision and executing on that is something that I enjoyed a lot and have a lot of experience with. So for me, it's kind of a natural fit in that sense. That's very, I'm very glad to hear that. Actually, one of my favorite things about running encounters on sort of symphonies is just watching the differences between the ways different players interact with the system. Oh, interesting. Because Kathleen has very accurately described what it's like to watch Kathleen play this game. <laughs> Which is to say, Kathleen is the one who says to me, oh, I get it now. When I have... <laughs> <laughs> when I have unveiled my dastardly trick. <laughs> Because Kathleen is looking at the gears. Mm -hmm. And Kathleen is the one who says, no, because Kat's about to use the one that costs six and we need six in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, but that's a really interesting point, right? That like yeah. that, that would be that would be something that if that was not a uh, a point of a, game, the, 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 a, a system like this of like players discussing tactically, hey, we pr should probably save this for the next one. Um, that could be something that a GM could just shut down and say, like, no, you, you, you can't think of that. Like, you, you wouldn't know that in combat. Yeah. Kirsten doesn't metagame pretty much until prompted. Kirsten is very much thinking in narrative, what is Penelope in the reality of this game capable of doing in this combat? Yeah. And it's a completely different approach from Kathleen's. I think they're both completely beautiful. And I would not have it any other way. <laughs> it's it's so, so fun to watch. Kirsten's very in-character and Kathleen's very meta approaches meld because the party has to work together. Well, then watching yeah. the interaction as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Nick's somewhere in the middle. Nick's, uh, Nick's my Goldilocks. <laughs> Nick's just right. So 
looping a long way back about how the game doesn't feel that different to play in combat versus out of combat. I appreciate that I get to have this fun metagame experience, this fun intellectual experience that I like doing, and then be able to tie it back into the way that like Tissa is reacting to the situation. That mm-hmm. like Tissa can continue to do Tissa things <laughs> in combat. Look, the sort of Symphony's character most likely to be a metagamer is Tissa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think metagaming is out of character. <laughs> well, to that end, I mean, it's... Probably not. It's it's It basically becomes that, like, metagaming isn't a bad word in this system. It is not the problem that it is in other systems where it's like, oh, no, you're, you're cheating. It is a part of playing this game. So I think something that I really like about this sort of metagame AOK facet of Heroic Chord is you are involved in a lot more of the combat than you are in a very, like, initiative-based, my-turn-your-turn kind of deal where, look, I, I love all of my game groups, but sometimes you're in a game group where, you know, your ter- it takes an hour to get back to your turn, and you do one thing, and then you sit on your hands for another hour. <laughs> and while, you know, you're there with your friends and you're you're enjoying yourself and you're hanging out, like... Look, that kind of sucks. Yeah, you're involved and then you're not versus, you know, being steadily part of the process the whole time. Yeah, and I think the big thing, though, why, well, the big reason for me, at least, why it sucks is the sense that what D&D and a lot of initiative-based combats are going for is a very visceral feel to combat. You know, like, you are hitting the skeleton zombie in the face you are casting the fireball on all of the, the evil goo monsters or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, like, a video game? Like, if you miss in a video game, whatever. Two seconds later, you get another chance. If you miss in a and d then poof, that's that's rough. Yeah, it's, it's especially demoralizing. You spent all that time and got all excited for that turn, and then it kind of turned into nothing. I never thought of it that way. I like Nick, you've you've exploded my brain just now, but you're right. The time investment is completely different when you have to take turns with everyone around the table and when you only get to do one thing. Yeah. And again, that being said, I'm not like averse to those kinds of systems. In fact, you know, I, I like those kinds of systems. Yeah. But a big part of essentially how a combat system is arranged is, of course, like, what is it going for? Are you going for this very like tactical visceral feel? Are you going for more of a cooperative narrative feel? And I think actually the big thing is, while I enjoy that tactical visceral combat, look, fights in tight spaces and Slay the Spire and all of these other turn-based video games and roguelikes and all that other stuff are kind of doing it for me on the, like, you know, chunky tactical feel. I much prefer narrative stuff like Heroic Chord these days because I get to be more involved with combat even if... Like, even when Cobb gets, you know, like, oh, Cobb doesn't get an action for one turn, it's like, well, I guess the connectivity between the player and the turn and the game, the round, whatever you want to call it, seems to mesh a lot more. It's a lot more fluid. So you're not just, it's your turn, you get to do stuff, okay, it's not your turn. Especially in something like D&D where when you are attacked, you don't do anything. Mm -hmm. 
Like right. if an enemy attacks you, you have numbers that they try and hit. If they hit those numbers, you are hit. If they don't hit those numbers, you are not hit. There is literally nothing you can do if somebody takes a swing at you in a lot of games. Now, granted, that is because if you were rolling dice all the time, it would bog down. Now that I think about it, that's actually a really good argument for metagaming. Because, like, Cobb wasn't able to act, but Nick was still part of the conversation about whether or not we should use these points or what our next choice was going to be. Like, Nick wasn't out of the game by any stretch of the imagination, even though Cobb lost a turn. Yeah, whereas if Nick was playing a D&D and you get stunned for a turn, that is basically an hour-long timeout sometimes. Yeah, great. Yeah. Go, it, it's bathroom break time. Yeah, yeah. that is 100%. <laughs> I'm going to go get us a sandwich. You know what it's just making me think of, though, is that the combat um, in the system feels more akin to a really good complex puzzle in a system that has, um, you know, mechanics for that that are uh, less, uh, I think you, you use the word visceral, um, and like combat-heavy combat, like D&D. Like, doing a combat in Heroic Horde to me is is similar to like everyone can kind of get a hand on the ball in a good puzzle in whatever system because that is usually more like skill checks and using tools and abilities and you know historical knowledge that characters have um and so it's it's it, it gets away from that uh yeah just like comparing this number to the other and I think you've hit on something really interesting in that combat feels more satisfying when you get a hand on the ball I think you're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And that mechanics in any game, really, that let all the players touch that ball and rub it all over, the more they win, the more everybody wins. <laughs> because they're engaged tactically with the system. I picked myself up. Yeah, yeah, there you go. If nothing else, they're playing the game more. Yes. Right, right. Uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about my experiences as a child playing soccer and that's just, I would choose to play defense because I was required to touch the ball less. And I could just sit in a field and, and eat grass. And like, <laughs> I was very much one of those kids who just kind of sat on the field and ate grass. But I, I kind of deliberately chose a role that was not very involved in soccer because I had no interest in soccer. So <laughs> you want a game that the players will want to play instead of sitting and eating grass. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I think my final, it, I guess my final thought on this for now, I'm sure we can come back to this later because I I can talk a million miles on all this stuff. I'll write it down and we'll come back. Uh, we'll come back on the next Cat's Cradle yeah. Combat Part 2. Yeah. Combat is a huge subject and I would love to talk about it again. Uh, especially seeing as, uh, speaking of, of combat, I think it is time for maybe one of us to go combat other things. Yeah, we're getting towards that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, uh, Bill's got a scheduled knife fight in an alley, so let's wrap yeah. this up. Yeah, but like it might be a power move if I show up late. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> it worked for me, Moto Masashi. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, Bill, bring a big stick with you. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. yeah. Big, bring an oar. Just give somebody a good bonk. <laughs> but <laughs> okay, so. Thank you so much for talking combat with me, everybody. This has been really, really great. Um, audience, thank you for listening to us. We love you. We just think you're the greatest. 
if if you couldn't get enough of this, um, we will most likely be back with combat again at some point. And yeah. uh, I'll try and write some thoughts down ahead of time so that way I don't run myself into the uh, <laughs> thought train graveyard. Prep for a cat's cradle? Wow. Wow. So if you want to talk to us about combat, you can find us on Twitter at PeachGardenRPGs. We'd love to hear your thoughts. It's a topic that we're clearly very excited about. You can also find us on the Heroic Discord. It's in our Twitter bio. Just come on in. Talk to us about rules. We love it. You can find us on the Be Gay Roll Dice Network Discord. There are several extremely nerdy game design-focused podcasts in Be Gay Roll Dice. It's not just us. There are a lot of people in our network who would love to hear your thoughts about combat. Kat, are there any uh, game design podcasts for jocks like me? Um, yeah. Good. <laughs> Thanks. Speaking of jocks like Bill, where can people <laughs> find you, Bill? Nowhere. This will be the first time that some people uh, are hearing my voice, uh, so I'll, I'll have to break the news once more that I, ca- I can't be on Twitter because I, um, I bully senators. Um, you do that, yeah. You can find me uh, playing other games with Cat uh, on Tales from the Tabletop. Uh, you can follow us, follow us on Twitter uh, at tftt underscore presents or check us out at tfttpresents.com. Yeah. And I guess we'll see you all next time. Bye, listener. Bye, listener. Bye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. Be gay. Roll dice. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network. Board of D&D? Want to try something else? Why not check out Control Group? We test systems so you don't have to. Using our patented mini-campaigns along with one-shots, we test how far you can stretch systems with our unique ideas and broad storytelling. Our mission statement is to give a voice to those not often heard in the TTRPG community. So whether it be a system you've never heard of, or our testers being people of color, people on the LBGTQIA spectrum, we want to make sure our stories are broad, vast, and told from different perspectives. So whether you want classic role-playing or just big goofs, come listen to us try out systems, some of which we've even made ourselves. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or head over to controlgrouppod.com. That's CTRL, just like the key on your keyboard. There you can find the systems we test along with easily accessible PDFs. So check us out if you're into Monster of the Week, Passion Dallas, Passionis, uh, Saw of Fire and Ice, Blazers and Feelings, Gunsight, Void Worlds, Wizards and Wands, Stranded, Interstitial, The Last Shonen, and so much more!